So as you may well know, on Sunday, uh, my wife Chaya delivered a baby boy. Uh, and thank God the baby's doing well, and mom's doing well. And it and the made... siblings are doing well? Siblings are doing the best. They're all siblings are doing the best. Uh, they're very delighted with the new toy. <laughs> I have a four boys and a girl, thank God. So Sunday we're having a bris over here, God willing, at 9.30. And... Um, and you know, this is the beginning of life, right? Child's born, and before that, they weren't <laughs> born. And there's a whole Talmud has a whole discussion: what's the status of the child eater? Which is kind of a question you would have if you were to ask the question: what would the halachic position on abortion be? It would kind of ask this question: what's you know, what's this stage? You know, what is the child before they're born? You know, what happens at birth? And then what changes? And not only that, you actually go back to, okay, there's preconception. There's a whole bunch of interesting Talmuds that talk about what happens before conception. And then there's the period in the middle, like conception, and then uh, the gestation period, and then birth. And these are transitions uh, in the lives of you know, all humans, really. Not only that, we have death, right? So death is the opposite bookend of life, so to speak. So there's death. And then there's seven days later, the first seven days are described in the Talmud as one kind of period. Well, not only that, let's start earlier. There's the day, there's till the child, till the person is actually buried, and then till they're covered all the way up, and then seven days, and 30 days, and a year, right? And, you know, these are kind of the stages of life, right? And there's an interesting, interesting Talmud that I think everyone here has heard of, but I think if we delve into it a little bit deeper, we find some really incredible things. And not only that, I have a piece of Talmud that I discovered, well, I saw it. Someone, I saw it somewhere. I finally actually read it in its full. I'm going to share it with you guys. Astounding. And it talks about what happened to the child beforehand. And we'll see perhaps how this is relevant to our core discussion that we've been having till now of why we study Torah. Okay. So everyone's heard of the Talmud. This is famous Talmud in the book of Nida, 30b. So Nida is the last of the books of the Talmud. And Nida is the book that primarily discusses the uh, status of a woman uh, in menstruation. And, uh, and the page, page 30, there's a whole discussion about a child in utero and pre-birth, right, right before birth. And one of the things that it says, of course, the child in utero knows the whole Torah, or studies the whole Torah, or is taught the whole Torah. And as the child is about to be born, an angel comes, smacks him in the mouth, makes him forget it all. That's the Talmud. And to us, it's like a, it's very fantastical. It's a legend, right? It's, you know, the, you know, this, is this little ridge that we have on our, uh, on our upper lip, is that uh, kind of the leftovers, the scar, if you will, of the angel? A lot of people, like, it seems like it's kind of Bubba uh, Mises, as they say in Yiddish, right? That's what it sounds like. Now, if you dig deep into this discussion and you look at other parallel Talmuds, and you're going to also, what else also going to examine the, this Midrash that we found, we find something very interesting. And I'll, let's break it down here a little bit. So the Talmud talks about a child, so a child in utero knows the whole Torah. When they're born, they forget it. And the Talmud brings a very interesting source for this. And the source that it brings is a verse in Genesis. The verse says, Lafeta chatas rovets. Cain and Abel, the story, and the aftermath of the Cain and Abel story of the fratricide of Cain and Abel. God tells uh, Cain, well, where's your brother? The whole, you know, the, whole, the, the, the whole this, that, and the other, the whole discussion. And he tells him, if you behave great, and if not, at the entrance, sin crouches. At the entrance, sin crouches. 
says the Talmud, this verse is telling us that at the entrance to the world, sin is there waiting. Why? You knew all Torah beforehand. And now, as you're born, being born, at the entrance, there's sin about to pounce on you. Why? Because you can forget the whole Torah. You know, if someone knew all the Torah, would they sin? Surely not, right? Imagine if you have someone, you know, at, they know all the Torah, suddenly it's the disc is wiped clean. This is why plain, and now, you know, what do you have now? You got nothing, right? You got nothing. Sin is right there, it pounce. It's going to fill the void. That's what the Talmud says. Now, what's interesting is that, and this is a little bit of inside baseball here, what's interesting is that there's another Talmud in, the, in, the, right, in Sanhedrin, which is a different book, on page 90, 91, I think. And the Talmud has a question, when does someone get a Yetzer Ra? When does someone get an evil inclination? Is, is it at conception? Is it at birth? A whole discussion back and forth in that. And ultimately, the Talmud concludes that a child gets a Yetzirah at birth, and it quotes a verse. And which verse does it quote? The same verse in Genesis, at the entrance sin crouches. Right? Sin, what? Sin. sin comes right when you're being born, and if we have a Yetzirah, we have now a propulsion to sin. Now, there's one problem with that. The problem is, that what this verse is telling us, apparently, is separate things. On one hand, in the book of Nida, it's telling us this one verse at the entrance in Crouches, the birth, it's telling us that a child, uh, that the child forgets the whole Torah at birth. In the book of Sanhedrin, it's telling us that the child gets the Yetzirah at birth. So which one is it? You can only use one verse for one law. That's the principle, right? If you, take, if you can't use the same verse for multiple laws... You know, that, that's the way the Talmud works. Did you say sin was waiting? <coughs> well, sin was waiting, but how was it waiting? The Talmud says, sin was waiting because you forget the Torah. Sin was waiting because you get, you get the Yetzirah. You would need to have two sources. You can't use the same source. Why can't you be born, forget the Torah, and have sin invade your system? That's true. You can have that. If that's all that happens, you forget the whole Torah. But the Talmud says more. You forget your whole Torah, and you get the Yetzirah. What is the result of the other one? Booyah. Booyah, booyah, booyah. What actually happens at birth is not that the disc is wiped clean. No. The disc remains full of Torah. The child's soul, still within him, has Torah. Problem is, is that in utero, it was just a soul. At birth, we get the Yetzirah. That's introduced to the fray. So now we have a soul and the Yetzirah within the person. And what happens when you have a Yetzirah and a soul? Suddenly the soul is not effective anymore. Suddenly, you know, there's competition. It's an inhibited soul. The soul gets muffled. It gets covered up. Its effect gets weakened. If we compare the soul maybe to an antenna that's giving off, you know, a godly vibe, and suddenly the antenna is muffled. The, the waves are, are, are being disrupted. And you know what happens when, that, when the Yetzirah comes? Suddenly the child forgets the whole Torah. Not because it was cleaned off of him, Rather, because there was a layer added to him, suddenly there's another competition, and the competition makes the child forget. The Yetzirah makes the child not be linked to the, the consciousness of, of, of the human is no longer linked to the soul, it's linked to the body. Now, this sounds a lot like, okay, this sounds very theoretical, right? To me... I think there's something tremendously valuable to be gleaned from this insight. Because this Talmud tells us 
What is a soul in isolation? If you were to isolate, to us, we think of a soul as something we have, right? What happens if you isolate a soul, if you're able to extract soul from body or to, or to remove all the bodily influences of the soul from, from above the soul? If suddenly the soul was no longer being hindered, it was no longer being limited, it was no longer being hamstrung by the body, by the Yetzirah, if you're able to dial back the clock, child in utero, child knows the whole, how does a child know the whole Torah? How does a child know the whole Torah? Mm-hmm. Huh? The angels know. The angels know. That's a, that's a, it's a common misnomer. The angels make the child forget it. If you actually look at the Talmud, the angels the one who makes him forget it. The only role the angel plays... Well, it's implanted in our soul. That's the answer. The soul innately knows the whole Torah. The angel makes the child forget the Torah by giving the child the Yetzirah. But if you were to just isolate the soul, you would have all of Torah. Well, it's not part of Hashem. It's, it's similar to Hashem. It's not part of Hashem. Well, the is it a different kind of angel? No, it's the, the is like we spoke about last week. The Yetzirah is it's a good thing because it gives you resistance, right? You know, you like we said, we describe the gym. You go to a gym, you see people miserable. Everyone's sweating. Everyone's working so hard. Why are they all paying money to go there? Doesn't make any sense, right? The answer is because we want resistance. It only has meaning if there's resistance. You only grow and progress if there's something pushing in opposition to that. So the Yetzirah is a good thing. If we just had a soul, we wouldn't have any resistance to that, and we couldn't progress and grow and develop. We could just be a spirit. Well, that's what we were till we became. Which we could. We, we've been there. We spend the rest of our lives studying Torah. For what purpose? To, to there's, there is no purpose. The soul? There is, well, the soul is developed. You don't need to develop the soul. The soul knows the whole Torah. It's, it's fully developed. So would that be... You don't have to remember it because you got the Yetzirah, like I do, like everyone in this room does, like every human does. Right. So we'd be like the angels. And, and therefore, we are, we have the soul within us, the soul is just covered up. The soul's influence on us is hampered by the Yetzirah. Don't, don't know, let's avoid us. Well, let, let's try to stick to reveal Torah. Just reveal Torah. Okay? <laughs> I like that. He, oh, he went Zohar on us. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, it is. Well, it's true. What about people that are born with... We're all born with different types of tests, aren't Yes, okay. Go ahead. Different type, types of tests, okay. Like, some people, like, have battles, like, like, you know, if they... Everyone has a different kind of test. Everyone gets them done. So what? What's the problem? Well, the Yetzirah is an influence. The influence can be manifested in, in many different ways. Uh, there could be, some people have an inordinate Yetzirah for uh, for sexuality. Uh, some people it's less, but they like money, love stockpiling money. Other people have Yetzirahs that they get angry and they're very arrogant. Some people are very lazy, very docile, and don't do anything. Like everyone has their own tailor-made good and bad character that's influenced by the Yetzirah. And by the way, I'll point out, everyone's soul is different as well. Soul is not a cookie-cutter thing either. And by the way, 
profits. We talk about profits, right? Every profit's different, right? Why is every profit different? Because humans are different. And a prophet is someone who's able to dial back the clock of birth. It means the worst thing that can happen to someone in life is to be born. I know that sounds bizarre, right? But if you take the soul, like, what, the soul is the lasting part of you. Your body, when, once you're dead, starts rotting instantly. Right, 45 minutes later, you're cold. <coughs> Not quite cold, but you're a little warm. Like, the body has a, a shelf life. The soul doesn't. The soul's forever, right? If you were to just map out kind of the status of the soul before conception, during conception, through gestation, birth, life, death, etc., the worst moment is birth itself. Because suddenly the, the soul's punched in the face... Well, touched in the mouth, hit him in the mouth. He's punched in the face, let's say it like it is, and suddenly he's neutered. His influence is diminished down to zero. You take a baby at birth, so cute, so adorable. But if you were to just evaluate the child's character, the child is the most evil thing possible. Why? Because they're it's all they care about is themselves. All, that's it. Right? If, you were to, if I were to describe to you the behavior of an infant, and I would describe it by not telling you the age, right? I'd say, well, imagine someone <coughs> at 3 in the morning knocks on his neighbor's door and says, I give me food right now. Yeah, and then doesn't stop fussing around for, for, for 45 minutes while the neighbor's trying to make him food. Yeah. Could you imagine that? <laughs> and start crying and crying. And, and, become, and, be, and now I have a stomach ache. You go to the neighbor. It's four in the morning. I just gave you food. I can't believe my neighbor's coming back. I have a stomach ache. Well, yeah, stomach ache. Punch in the face, right? <laughs> back to punch in the face. Could you imagine? But that's what babies do. Do you know why? Because their soul is just not there. Well, it's there, but its influence is not there. Now they're on the balance of Yetzirah versus soul. They're almost 100% Yetzirah. The soul's influence is kind of theoretical almost. But why is that? Because that's what life's about. That's exactly the challenge of life. Huh? Well, that's true, but it's body reaction and it's not soul reaction. And then what do we have? We have life. And we have Torah. And we have mitzvahs. And the mitzvahs are all designed to empower the soul, to awaken the soul, to uplift the soul. And you know, on the other hand, to limit the body, to weaken the body, to mitigate, attenuate, minimize the body. And then what happens? Slowly but surely, we mature. Now we mature, obviously, in age, but we also mature in character. We mature in our behavior. We mature in our body-soul balance. Right? Originally, we start off as the, you know, the body, the Yetzirah is dominant. The soul is just there. Yeah, it keeps you alive, but it's not really a part of who you are. And then hopefully over time and over with instruction and with good parents and with study of Torah, what happens? You change. And suddenly you start noticing other people. And you start behaving in a way that is more soul-like. And you start doing things and saying things and acting and thinking things in a way that's more soul-like. So, Rabbi, so the Torah then would be it alleviates our dependency, doesn't it? 
Well, I, well, okay. So we can look at how. So how does? How, well, I think that's a good question. How does the soul? How is this life paradigm? How is that affected by Torah? I think one way to look we can look at that is that yeah, Torah gives us instructions, right. and the instructions are all designed. They're all designed to attack the body, so to speak, and empower the soul. And you say, Rabbi, there's mitzvahs that are hard to do because I really like the cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, you really like cheeseburger. That's exactly why the Torah said don't do it. Exactly why. Because you really like the cheeseburger. What you're really saying is not you. which part of you really likes the cheeseburger. It's the body. It's the Yetzirah. And if you empower that part, you're going in opposition to your life's mission. Your life's mission is to turn back the clock and get back to the way you were in utero. Before this super negative punch in the face came happen. Right? You want to do that. So, so you say it's hard for me. It's not hard for me. It's hard for my body. It's hard for my uh, uh, disability that came to me at birth. Like you never should have served chicken. Well. <laughs> so then the, the whole thing is, is that we're forced into choices. Right? We're forced into choices. And, and the Almighty has given us the opportunity. Soul, exactly. And the Almighty has given us opportunities <clears throat> to take charge in this battle and to, and to make a step in the right direction. So that's, why, that's one simple way how Torah helps us. But I want to go a little deeper. The child in utero knows the whole Torah. How does the child know the whole Torah? How? Well, the angels taught it. Well, no, the made him forget it. Well, the Talmud is ambiguous. So the, the Talmud is ambiguous as to who taught the, the child Torah. Because he's, because he's a soul. He's a spirit. So what? So what? So what? Well, because the Torah existed before man. Okay. So, so that if you're okay, I think I think what you're all saying is is, is along the lines of what I want to say. I want, I want to present it this way. Okay, our soul is similar to God. In fact, if you read a little bit further than the Talmud and Nida, 30b, the, the, the Talmud goes on to describe the prophecy that a child has right before birth. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Slow down. How can you have prophecy in utero? How can you have prophecy? The child hasn't accomplished anything. Don't you have to be accomplished, developed, become a prophet? The answer is yes. child in utero hasn't accomplished anything, but the child in utero has a soul the influence of the soul, and not the influence of the Yetzirah. So they have a direct communication with God. Prophets, right, the ones that we encounter, are the ones that after birth, after they got the disability at birth, they were able to dial back the clock and become like they were in utero. They were able to minimize and neuter the effect of the bodies and go back to being soul first, body second. And therefore, they were able to organically achieve prophecy. But a child in utero is able to achieve prophecy because not, not, you don't achieve it. You are prophecy. You have that. Mm-hmm. That's who you are. Go ahead. Did the soul always exist? The soul did, of course. The soul was always capable of prophecy. That's true. That's true. But, but the soul was capable of prophecy any time before that. And we'll see a little bit more about that. In the, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So a baby that's born, still born, never gets the Yitzhahan? Baby that's born still. That's a good question. What happens if baby is born, a uh, born, born still born? Yeah, because that thing he re- can't develop. The, the soul leaves the body. The soul leaves yeah, the body at birth. Yeah. 
That's a good question. What happens? What happens to such a baby? So what's interesting is that there. So there are some. There are some interesting. Um, that's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know. That's a good question. That's a, that, that's a question that contributes to the discussion. That's a good question. Uh, and the true answer, I don't know. I'm sure we can we can we can investigate that. Uh, but what's also interesting is that even if God forbid kids who who die tragically, um, they're here for some sort of purpose, and there's we don't know necessarily why. Um, but there has been a tradition of it's a mist on Zetlu, how 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 it's um, framed exactly. But there is the idea of giving the child a circumcision, even if they're in a name. Oh, and a name exactly, and burying them in a Jewish way. So we do some mitzvahs. We do some mitzvahs because it's possible the child needs just a little touch and go here, you know. And ironically, go ahead. Oh yeah, you do some mitzvahs exactly. So oh yeah. Uh, I don't know, no, no, there's no barrier right away, right? Uh, what's interesting, what's interesting about this, by the way, just how the irony, the irony is from us we see that as tragedy. From the soul, it's liberty, it's emancipation. We, it's just ironic how how opposing our perspectives are. But you know, for the soul, birth is its death, so to speak. And for us, it's just the, it's everything's the opposite. Now, Torah and the Almighty and the Jewish people, right? right? These are steady entities. These are elements. These are things which are similar, according to the Talmud. Now, the Almighty and Torah, those things are inseparable, like the Ramam tells us. Like, the Almighty's Torah is connected to who he is, so to speak. A soul doesn't need to be taught Torah because a soul is Torah. Right? It's implanted. Someone said, someone said that. Uh, uh, Dave, you said that. Um, um, you said like, I'm pretty sure you said that. that it's, it's kind of like baked into the soul is Torah. So a child does, need to, in utero does not need to study Torah. Now, I want to point out, just for the sake of clarity, Sidebar, you could just ignore this, but just for the recording, so people don't email me that I'm wrong. The Talmud does intimate that it's possible that the child is taught Torah. But it's very ambiguous, it's not clear. And the Maharal, by the way, says what I'm saying. So, close sidebar. Right? But the child in utero is Torah, and that's why you don't need to be taught Torah. And you know what? Even after the child's punched in the face, and the child forgets Torah, the Torah is not eliminated from the soul, it's just that there's a new entity that's thrown in, that's the Yetzirah, that changes the relationship that we have with Torah, because suddenly our soul is inaccessible to us. Suddenly our soul is so distant. Suddenly we're the most body-centric entities ever, right? Because we're babies. That's what babies are. Babies are super body-centric creatures. And life's goal, our life's goal, is to reverse the disability that we were given at birth. That's our life's goal. And you know what? If we do that, who do we look like? What? Well, we 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 would look like Moshe. You know. Now, for I want to make another emendation to that. Moshe did even more than that. But Abraham, but all the prophets. What? What are, the, what are prophets? Prophets are people that have exposed their soul to such a degree that it's suddenly free again. 
it can have communication that's not hampered by the body. That's what a soul, that's what a prophet is. A prophet is someone who has reversed and turned back, dialed back the clock to become soul-centric. And thus, if you're soul-centric, automatically you have prophecy. So No, well, not really, because what you, by the, by the oh yeah, temple, at the beginning of the Second no Temple, that's right, that's right, that's right. So that, why was why was that? Well, now, it's possible. There's still no it's right. That's well. Well, there's other things that, that, that are that are prophecy like. Well, I don't think it's a punishment. I think it's just a reflection of the degradation <laughs> of souls. So even though souls can become, are, are super pure today, but the, our soul and Moses' soul are incomparable, right? So if you have a lower level soul, then your capacity for communication, direct communication, the form of prophecy with God is limited. Mm-hmm. However, if you were to expose your soul entirely and become like a child in utero, you'll have some variant of prophecy. It won't be called prophecy. It'll be called maybe Ruach HaKodesh or some other words. Right. There are other words that, that are used to describe what happens to a soul today when it's exposed. You know, what are the limits of its achievements? Rabbi, okay, so, so now so I think about... Go ahead. When we started this whole segment of conversation, you posed a question and you said, what is, what is the soul without the body? Mm-hmm. So would, and I said to David, would we be like the angels? And he said, no. Would we be like the angels? Well, we will be so, similar I mean, to the angels. They're totally spiritual, right? They're similar. They the Torah. Right. right. Well, they have a task. But and and the, the soul, a, soul's, a soul's goal is to be born and go through this process. Now, pound for pound, if you were to compare us to souls, we'd be very similar. Spiritual entities, right? But, Devoid but not, of any physical manifestations. Right, right. right. But, soul and... And total and, connection and, to our shame. That's right, but by definition, right? Yeah. Okay. Every soul that is born is lacking something. That's why they are born. Well, you got to source that for me. If you're going to say that, you got to source that for me. I'm not so sure that's the, well. Yeah. Well, maybe our, like we we already we already we we already allowed in our conversation for the idea of souls being higher or lower. True, but the purpose of life is not for the soul because the soul starts off perfect. The purpose is for the body. To fix the body and to make it parallel, par with the soul. Now, someone mentioned Abraham. How did Abraham study Torah? Huh? He got a connection. Well, okay, so. Okay, so the Talmud. The Talmud. Well, the Talmud asked this question two times. How did Abraham study? Because we know Abraham studied Torah. Abraham knew Torah. Abraham observed Torah. That we know. The question is, how did he do it? The answer says the Talmud. He learned from himself. Number one, first answer. Second answer, and the other Talmud asked the question. His kidneys became wellsprings. He learned from his kidneys. Now, if you just read that, what does that even mean? What that means is, is that he studied it from his soul. Abraham's greatness, like everyone's greatness, is being able to turn back the clock and dial it back to the way he was before birth. And once you do that, automatically you'll have Torah. You won't be taught from without, you'll have it from within. That's how, that's how he got Torah, from himself. 
Abraham exposed his soul to such a degree. Abraham combated and defeated his body, his Yetzirah, to such a degree that it was no longer an influence. What, 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 what was the influence on his life? Right? Who was he? How did he feel when he pointed himself? Right? right? Who was he? He was the soul. If he was the soul, he knew Torah automatically. Now let me ask you a question. When we study Torah, or if we want to have Torah, how, how do we do it? The answer is two ways. There's two ways to do it. There's the Abraham's way, and there's everyone else's way. Now we're in the yes, <laughs> exactly. Now give me guys an example. Give me a good example. So we all, I see a lot of cars outside here, right? Is there any electric cars here? They're all internal combustion engines, correct? What do you need to run an internal combustion engine? A few things, right? You need gasoline, you need oil, right? How do you get gasoline and oil? Oh, okay, slow. We have different answers. Okay, so there's two ways. You can stick a pipe in your backyard, 2,000 feet down to the ground, right? Get get the gold, black gold. You take that, you refine it. You refine it yourself. You separate the different ones, all right? The jet fuel and all the different kinds of fuel, petroleum, and you put it in your car. That's what Abraham did. Abraham studied Torah, but he dug deep, deep down within him. He exposed his inner soul by defeating his body, and he got Torah that way. If I want gasoline, I don't dig. I go to the gasoline station, fill up my car, right? I need Torah, I just go without. There's Torah wherever you want, right? That's the miracle of, 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 of the Torah being given to us, is that no longer do we have to take the circuitous route to Torah. We get, this is like a fueling station. This is like a fueling, exactly. This is a, this is a gas station for your soul, exactly. <laughs> Now, now, what happens now? So we have, we have the soul within us. Our goal, life, life's goal is to expose it. To bring it out to the forefront. How do we do that? Well, with Torah. Think about what happens here. Remember what we said. A child, a soul is Torah. A soul doesn't need to be taught Torah. It is Torah. Right? If we want to awaken and empower that soul, what do we do? Imagine you had, within a cave or something like that, this creature that only knew a certain language. And your goal is to kind of find that, you know, expose that. And you're, if you're able to discover the particular language of that creature, you could bring it out into the forefront, right? We're trying to expose ourselves. That's what life's all about. That's what life's all about. Reversing the paradigm of body-soul that we have. We have now a body that overwhelms our soul and the child is born and they're just all body, no soul. We're trying to change all that. We're trying to dial back the clock. And we have this language. And you start saying Torah. And you know what stirs within you? You know what's awakened from slumber? Your soul. Your dormant soul that's imprisoned and shackled. Right? And totally submitted to your Yetzirah is finally alive. There's a stirring within you. You're, you're alive. You're awake. When you study Torah, suddenly, the more Torah you study, it's like you're inflating your, your, your soul. Right? You're, you're awakening your soul. If we could say perhaps, right, to, to kind of dial back, to, to go back to where we started here, when you study Torah, or life, our life is 
a, a, a you know, on two fronts. It is a defeating the body, defeating the Yetzirah, submitting that, right, limiting that, and on the other hand, exposing the soul. When we have Torah, we have both. The Torah says, don't listen to your body. Don't do all the cheeseburgers and all those proverbial cheeseburgers that your body wants. And you say, I want it, I want it. No, you don't want it. Your, your body wants it. And your goal is to deny your body what it wants because you giving it what it wants makes it even stronger. It makes your life's task even more difficult. Torah says, say no to the body. On the other hand, Torah says, Torah, study Torah. Awaken your soul. Empower your soul. Your soul is that, uh, it's, it's the whisper that's able to cut through all the uh, defenses and all the fences and all the barriers that separate you from your soul and you from connecting to your source. Now, I want to share with you guys a little bit of a, of, of a major sense. So this, this is, I think, reason, I don't remember what reason we're up to right now, reason nine why we study Torah. When you study Torah, you are engaging in the process of reversing your birth. And you say, wait a minute, Rabbi, I'm a doctor. That's exactly, I, I, I do birth, right? I deliver them at gmail.com, right? This is what I do, right? Yeah, of course, that's what you do. That's, and this is the world that we live in. So we, we, we're, we pass through, you know, this process and our soul is suffocated and it's, it's suffering so much. But our goal, our spiritual goal, is to kind of go back through that and seem, you know, not obviously, proverbially, Right? Reverse the impact of birth. And we do that via Torah. Now I want to share with you guys some amazing here. This is from the Medrash in, in Tanchuma. It gives a very long description of what happens to the child as the child's about to be born. So I'm, I'm skipping around a little bit here. Um, basically, there's this container in which all... This is preconception, right? There's this container where it has all the souls... And the Almighty uh, tells the angel, I need a specific soul. And he says, he names of the soul. He gives, I guess, probably like the code name or the, you know, the serial number of the soul. And he says, bring him to me. And the angel goes and he collects the soul and brings it before the Almighty. And when the angel, when the soul sees the Almighty, it, it bows down and, you know, in front of the Almighty. And then the Almighty takes this drop, which is the biological uh, fluid that we're talking about here before conception. And the Almighty says, okay, you're going into this drop. So what do you think the, angel, the, the soul does? The soul is like, ooh, this oh, is no. a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> this is, we should not be doing this, right? So what does he say? You know? I'm, I'm perfectly happy in the world that I'm in right now. What's wrong? Why change a good thing? Why do you want to put me into this drop? I'm holy, I'm pure, right? And, I'm, and, and, and you created me out of your glory? See, so Almighty says, listen to this, guys. The world, to the soul, the world that I'm going to put you in is even better than the world you're in now. The world of opportunity is better than the world of bliss. And when I created you, I only created you for the purpose of going into this drop. So obviously can't believe it. Right? 
And then at, right afterwards, when Maya says that, the Almighty forces and compels the soul to enter against his will. So the soul is in there kicking and screaming, not interested. And then the angel comes and inserts this into the stomach of the mother. And there's two angels that are appointed, and they're there standing guard to make sure that the soul doesn't escape. Yo, well, this is what the Talmud's saying. It's just talking to us. It's like he's put on suicide watch, so to speak. Right? Make sure he doesn't escape. And this is preconception. And by the way, when it says when if he escapes, that's a miscarriage. That's what it says here. Interesting. Okay, so they put him in the air, and there is a candle lit on his head. Very interesting. And he looks and sees from one end of the world to the other end of the world. And the angel comes and takes him and says, he brings him to Gan Eden, to the Garden of Eden. And he shows them all the tzaddik and all the righteous people. They're sitting with their splendor and they have a crown on their heads. And the angel says, look around. Do you know what these people are? So the angel is like taking a little tour here. With The angel is taking the soul for a tour. They go to Gan Eden and they show them all the people that are you know, delighting. And he says, you know who these people are? He says, no, I have no idea who these people are. Right? So the angel tells the soul, these people that you're seeing were just like you. They were just like you. They were in the mother's, you know, in the mother's uterus, and they went, and they observed the Torah, and the mitzvahs, and therefore they merited to this goodness that they have right now. And you should know that you're going to go into this world and come out of the world, and if you're meritorious, and you observe the Torah of the Almighty, you too will merit to be sitting right over here. You have the spot here carved out for you whenever you're ready. But if not, I'm going to show you tomorrow a different place. <laughs> and that's where you'll end up. Right? So that evening, he takes him to Gehenim, and he shows them the Rishayim, the, the wicked people. And it describes uh, in somewhat uh, graphic details what he sees. And uh, I assure you it's not pleasant. I'll tell you what it says. Okay, you guys want to hear it. Okay, so he says that there's Malachi Chabola, which means persecuting angels. Chabola is the right word. Or maybe um, Chabola is uh, in, in, uh, wound-inflicting angels that are hitting these people with, uh, with, um, with sticks of fire. And they're saying, vai, vai. I don't even know what that means. And they have no pity in them. It's oi vavoy. exactly. And he says to them, the angel, the angel's giving the Torah to this little uh, soul, and he says to him, you know who these people are? He says, no, I don't know who these people are. He says, you should know that these people were just like you. They too were a soul, and they went into the world, but they didn't observe the Torah, and they didn't listen to the mitzvahs of the Almighty. And therefore they got this devastation. You should know, you too are going to be in this world, be a tzaddik, Choose be the be a tzaddik and don't choose to be a rasha, because if, if you know, because then you'll have olam haba. Well, tzaddik, well, tzaddik is a tzaddik; it's a righteous person. Okay. Okay, and then it continues. It says some other interesting things. 
Uh, they take it for, uh, you know, from morning to night. The angel takes from morning to night and shows them the place that he's going to die in and the place that he's going to be buried in and shows them the whole world and shows them the righteous people. And he's like, like a whole tour. Shows them everything. Shows them everything. And in the evening, he puts them back in the, in the, in the womb of the mother. Describes kind of the settings. Okay, so the first three months, and the next three months, and the next three months, fine. And at, when the time arrives for the child to come to the air of the world, which is the atmosphere of the world, to be born, he is kind of descending from the upper levels to the middle levels to the lower levels. Everything the mother eats, he eats. Everything the mother drinks, he drinks. He doesn't have any waste. And finally, the time has come for him to, to be born. And the angel comes. Back to the angel. And he says to him, your time to go to be born is now. And what, what, is it, what do you think the soul wants here? No. no. Ah, that's a bad idea. <laughs> that is a bad idea. I don't want to go. Don't take me out. So the angel says to him, you should know, my son, that you are created against your will and against the will you're being born and against the will you're going to die. We don't have a say if we're born, right? if we're created, if we're born, if we live, if we die. We don't have a say in that. The Almighty does. And you should know that you in the future are going to have to give an accounting before the King of Kings, the Almighty. And once again, the soul refuses, he doesn't want to go, and he doesn't leave until the angel has to hit him again. And he has to extinguish the, uh, the candle that was lit upon his head and pushes him out against his will. And right away, the child forgets everything that he saw when he leaves and everything that he knew. And that's why he cries at birth. And it goes on to describe uh, in, in greater detail. But to me, when I saw this, I was like, whoa. Really? <laughs> I am taken. Uh, and, and we see, we see like this, 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 this soul is so pure. And it's created for a purpose to be here. And this fashtunkana play. Well, this is nice, right? We're in a nice room. But, you know, and that's, that's, what it's, that's what it's about. And for it, this process is very miserable. So, so we start off as a, as a soul, then we're born, and then we spend our whole lives trying to perfect our body to be like our soul, and then we die into our soul again. We That's right. We perfect our soul, not our body. No, we got to perfect, perfect our body. Remember, we are body and soul. This is an important point. We are, we are, humans are not souls and not bodies. Humans are body and soul. We have a soul that's eternal. We have a body that's temporary. But we are the fusion of the two. But you can't perfect the body. You have to perfect the body. That's right. We want to uplift the body and to become harmonious, to become symbiotic people where our body and soul are no longer in conflict. And how do we do that? With Torah and with mitzvahs. Question about right. what you were just reading. I'm just curious about something. When when the angel's taking the, the soul and showing him Ganinim and showing him, you know, Gehenim, I wonder if if the angel tells the soul, does the soul understand what it's supposed to accomplish when it gets here? 
you know how you know well it describes it it, say, it says like no, this how, what it says yeah accomplish I'll tell you what it describes it says and the Talmud says a little bit of a different wording for, for this but it says uh, guard or observe the Torah the mitzvahs now that's maybe a tall task but it's mandatory right it's, it's binding that, that, that's that now the Talmud says something when the, when the Talmud describes this process it gives a much shorter accounting of course in Talmud and Ida um, that we, we were quoting but it says it kind of lumps it all together it says be at Sadiq and don't be Russia so it kind of goes through that He's, he, where he doesn't give us the whole backstory of him going there and seeing everything well, you know, be at Sadiq and not be Russia and then it says like this which we don't have in the Midrash it says and even if the whole world tells you that you're at Sadiq don't believe them right? still think you have room to improve and um, guard, guard, you know, guard the purity of the soul. The only way to guard the purity of the soul is to uplift this, the body that it's not in contention. Well, you know what I'm referring to, I think. You know, when the soul has, in order to reach perfection, like going through reincarnation, you know, states of reincarnation in order to perfect, I, I'm, I guess what I'm talking about is that. And I was just curious as to whether or not that soul, when it's being led around by the angel, is, is aware of at that time, but maybe not by the time birth comes, by the time the soul is born with the body, is the soul aware of what it's, what it's, what it maybe. needs to do to perfect itself? Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe not. I wouldn't know what the soul is. I don't know. Knows. It's just kind of Yeah, it's, it's weird because our consciousness is essentially a mix of our souls and our body's consciousness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Depending upon what, like how we behave and how, what we prioritize, Will become will become more aware of what our soul wants. So I'll give you an example. Like, you know, if 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 you were right, if you're hungry, you're aware that you're hungry, right? How do you know that you're hungry? Because your body sends signals of hunger, and you are able to perceive what the body wants. And because you you are your body, right? Therefore, if your body is not taken care of, you're not taken care of and you die. Mm-hmm. Let's look at Moshe. What did Moshe do for 40 days and 40 nights? Didn't he, he, he didn't eat or drink. Yeah, right. How did he not die? Better yet, why did he not say, okay, Almighty, you teach me Torah. Let's take a snack break. Let's take a little five-minute break to get food. Why didn't he say that? The answer is that Moshe, because he wasn't his body, he was his soul, therefore he didn't feel the hunger mm-hmm. and he didn't even need the food because you only need the food yeah. provided you're your body. Once you opt to kind of change who you are to become predominantly or exclusively soul, then you don't feel what the body feels. It means because your your perceptors, your consciousness is going to be what you identify. So if you're all body, then you won't feel soul at all. You become more soul, then you'll feel more soul, and therefore you'll have more of an insight into what your soul actually wants. Okay, that's that. And what's interesting is that all these things, like all these kind of high level, like macro view, 50,000 miles up, looking at life, all that we can achieve through Torah. Think of the power of the Torah. The Torah is our tool to do this. We don't have any other tool. Torah and mitzvah, that's it. And if this does not give us a reason to study Torah, I don't know what else would, right? But this is what your life's all about, right? And it's inspiring to us that to know that our Torah is the language of our soul. It's the way to awaken and inspire and um, um, bring it to the surface.
and that's uh, a very valuable for us. Um, 